Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart <clears throat> and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. As I announced, uh, Pastor Will will be speaking in the CE today. Uh, it's because our new pastor, our new family Christian education pastor, Pastor Eddie, will be giving his first uh, sermon here before all of you at our Antioch family. So please, let's welcome him with a round of applause. Mm -hmm. Hello, uh, yeah, as uh, Pastor Charles says, I am Pastor Eddie, and it's my pleasure to come before you today to preach the word. I'll put this right here. And uh, yeah, we're all intrigued by stories. It's a multi-billion dollar industry with movies and books, podcasts now, um, music, and we're bombarded in this world by stories. Um, when I grew up, I'm a, I was always a big sci-fi fan. I'm with uh, PJ, and I love Star Trek The Next Generation. And it's this, this it's, uh, you know, every, every week I was just waiting for that. I would go to the library to read different sci-fi authors. And really, if you think back in the day, um, it's changed a little bit now, but the, the story was with enough um, human ingenuity, with technology, humans can rise above the mess of this world and come together as a world and then go and beyond this world to other places. And obviously what is missing in there is this idea of who God is. And I, I grew up like that. That was the story I immersed myself in. And ultimately, I believed it. I lived a life where God didn't exist where it's based upon what I do, it's based upon what the world does, society, technology, and all these other things. And I think if we really think about it, a lot of us are impacted by the things that we listen to, the stories of this world, the movies we watch, the, the music that we listen to. Think about it. Like Think about the lyrics that go through. Why do you think we start all the services with words from scripture, with words of song, is so that we can be immersed in the story of God. But most of us, we really enjoy, we're going to pay the big bucks, we're going to spend our most time in the stories of the world, right? Like uh, the Marvel Universe, right? The multiverse. I mean, how many of us have watched the, I don't even know, the 20 plus movies that encompasses that? Um, Maybe we'll listen to some music that we just, we just really strive for and just gets us going. Um, in the end, all of these stories of this world leave God out of it, and really it's, it's a story of the self. It's a story 
of how the human, how the man, how you are the most important thing. You can be who you want to be. How you feel is the most important thing. It doesn't matter what other people say. And ultimately, you are the ultimate uh, judge of what is right, what is wrong. Now, Paul speaks about this in the first chapter of Romans, Romans chapter 1, 24 to 25, and it's not anything new, as um, I quote um, Koaleth of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new underneath the sun. So Romans chapter 1, verse 24 to 25 says this, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because why? They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, i.e. man or anything that is created, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That exchange. We exchange the story of God for the story of the world. And I want to contend to you today that if we're not diligently listening to the story of God, we're going to be consumed by the stories of this world, right? Again, if we're not diligently listening to the story of God, we're going to be consumed by the stories of this world. So going back to our passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want you to first notice that we're in chapter 6, okay? Um, why is that so important? Well, if you are familiar with the book of Deuteronomy, the first couple of chapters, about three, four chapters, it talks about how does the story of God. By this time, Moses has brought the Israelites through the wilderness 40 years. So previously, the Israelites, if you guys know, um, God brought them out of Egypt and was bringing them to the promised land. And they sent spies in there to be like, okay, what kind of land is this? And they did find, okay, this is a land of flowing with milk and honey. But then they were afraid because they were like giants. The cities were fortified. And so instead of fearing God and understanding, okay, God is with us, they were listening to what? The stories of the world, stories of that land, that the strong are the ones who are powerful, the strong are the ones who rule, that technology, i.e. these fortified cities, is what is able to protect us, and these other gods are on equal footing as your God, Yahweh, and so if you come with us, we'll still be able to defeat you. And the Israelites believed it, minus a couple people, Caleb and Joshua. But here, we find ourselves 40 years later. So if you imagine the, the scenario, Imagine, I, I told the kids before, like imagine, I was telling them, imagine if you guys are now your age, right? 40 years later, imagine, and all of us have passed away because we're disobedient. Let's just imagine. And so now this new generation of people, of the chosen people are about to enter the promised land, and before God brings them in, he has Moses remind them, this is the story of God. Remember who God is. Remember what he's done for you. Not just for you, but the generations before you, your forefathers. That's why we're here. Without this context, without understanding who God is, what he's done for you, the law doesn't make any sense. 
I think in today's day and age, many people outside the church, maybe even inside the church, we make the mistake of um, splitting the law from the relationship with God. And so you might hear criticisms, oh, Christians are all about just rules, or, you know, they have no love. They're all about hate. They're so inclusive or exclusive. Exclusive. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's because they'll pinpoint a rule about you should not do that, or you should not do that, or this is a sin, or that's a sin. But really, if, if you just take it out of context like that, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Like, what does that even mean? How can we allow this or that person not to enter into heaven? But when we understand, no, it's first a relationship with God, a God who chose a certain people, brought them out of slavery, slavery from Egypt, and into this world, this kingdom where God is Lord, that we're willing to serve, then the laws do not make sense. So, to put it, I guess, positively, we have to understand that this law was given first to his people. First, when he showed himself in all of his awesome, glorious deeds. We could recount all those. I'm sure many of us who grew up in the church, even our children, have been going through this. They've been going through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, how God brought the ten plagues, right? This is the God. And it, it's, it's recorded here again in, in these first few chapters. God brought the ten plagues upon the Egypt, and it brought you out. And even before you came out, you were able to ask all the Egyptians, and they gave you all this jewelry, and then you're able to leave, and they split the Red Sea. We've heard these stories, and whether maybe you believe it or not, or try to figure out how naturally it could have occurred, he is saying, no, it's God who intentionally acted in your life, actually did real things in order to bring you to the place that you're at, and he's about to deliver you. The same God who delivered you from the Egyptians will deliver you from these other cities who you think are huge. And eventually we'll hear those stories of Jericho or David defeating the Goliath. We'll see those later on. So again, without understanding the story of God, we'll never understand this command that we're given here. And in the end, ba basically, before they enter into the world, God is protecting them from the stories of his world by giving them the true story of God. He's saying, hey, and this is where if we know about the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. We know how important it is because whenever they go in, they're so distracted by these other idols. They're so distracted by the stories of what these other gods offer, and God is constantly having to bring them back. Like, no, listen, guys, those are all false. Listen, these are what they are. They're carved images. They don't speak. They never acted. Come on, why are we falling into that again? I'm the God who acts. I'm the living God. I'm the God who created all things. Stick to that story. And so we move to my second point, Shema. And if we read verse 4, where it says, Hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
That first word here is the Hebrew word shama. And if you read actually later where it says um, in verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. This passage, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and a couple other passages, one later in Deuteronomy 11 and one in Numbers, they literally had them in these like uh, what they call phylacteries, and they actually put the, that, the Shema, this, in there, and then they wear around their heads. Even today, they'll do that, the, the very strict ones, and they'll write them on their hands. And then even, I don't know if you have any junior friends, usually in the doorpost, they legit have the Shema right there on the doorpost. Yeah, every Jewish friends go to their house. If they're a true Jewish guy, they're going to put that right there. And what's in there? I always wonder what's in there. It's the Shema. And it's named Shema because that first word is here. But what's interesting, I would say, first of all, there, the Shema is all over the Old Testament. Over a thousand occurrences. I think I counted, well, my program counted, 1,160 occurrences of the word Shema in the Old Testament. It's a big deal. Shema, Shema, Shema. Listen, listen, listen. But if we only think of it as listen, we're not understanding the, the whole picture of what it really means. The Hebrew language actually doesn't have a word for obey. Separate from Shema. So if you think about what it really means to listen, and I think parents here understand, or even if we have parents, we know what they say, like, listen to me, listen to me. Are you not listening to me? <laughs> listen doesn't literally mean the physical, like, sound waves entering into your ear, some scientific um, phenomenon where it gets processed in your brain. No, listen literally means, no, listen and obey, or listen and do. There's a action part of listen, and yeah, we all know that, right? We, we've heard that either from our parents, or we're saying it, or both. We've heard it from our parents, and now we're saying it to our kids. Listen to me. Why are you not listening to me? I listen. You said, and yeah, sometimes they take you like literally, and they're like, no, that's not what I mean. And here again, before we see this, um, you shall love the Lord, this great command, you shall love the Lord. And he's saying, listen. And it's not just, again, listen, but obey. It is a listen, obey, do. We see this throughout the um, Old Testament. There are over 80 instances even in the ESV where the word Shema is literally just translated as obey. They don't even say listen, it just says obey. One of the um, examples I'll give you, Genesis 27, 8. Now therefore, my son, Shema my voice. Obey my voice as I command you. Um, I'll say one more, Joshua 1.17, as that's kind of where they're leading into. These are Moses' last words. He's about to pass over to Joshua. Joshua 1.17, just as we shamad Moses in all things, so we will shema you. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. So, we need to understand that when God says, listen, it's not just a passive listening. It's not just like you're listening to music, but there's an active part of that. 
We need to attentively listen. It is this idea that we respect the one speaking and therefore will take it seriously, take it with heart, and actually do what he says. Now, if I just leave you there, you're like, well, I try, I try and try, but I fail and fail and fail. And so really, when we read this first, we see really what is at the heart of this command. Now, we, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. We know from the New Testament that this is the great commandment. All other commands flow from this greatest command. If you love God, then all the other cards come into place. You're going to love others. You're not going to murder. All the other things will come into place. At the top of it all is love your God, right? And so the key word there is that really this command is couched in the story of love. And more specifically, the story of God's love for his people and how we experience it now, God's love for you. We need to first see that God loves us. Deuteronomy, the whole book really, recognizes the need for God to act within the heart, not putting it on your head or putting it on your arms as some people might mistake it as, but it's a heart thing. It needs to be written on our hearts to achieve faithful obedience to God's command. And the only way we could really understand that is if God changes our hearts. And we cannot change, have our hearts change if we never encounter him. If we never encounter the love of God, these rules seem burdensome. These rules seem out of date, archaic, of a different culture, something that's not relevant to us today. But if we understand that this is a everlasting God, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who even stands outside of time, how can we ever say his word is out of date? Who are we to say that? But once we encounter him, they're like, wow, this God loves us so much, what? That he gave his one and only son for us. To die in our place on the cross, as we even read uh, Romans 5.8, that while we're still enemies, he did this for us had nothing to do with us. We didn't first come to God, and then he said, oh, because you're a good guy, I'll save you. No, in God's grace, he said, even while you're running away from me, I choose you to be part of my family. So now we could call him God. So only then, when we're just, just surrender to his love, that we'll even want to consider to obey him. So yes, you need to come to Jesus first. You need to experience his love. You need to encounter his love. You need to know what that means. And then, of course, you're going to listen to him. I don't know if any of you experience love just on a human level. We have married people. Hopefully there's love there. You have children. Hopefully there's love there. You have parents. Hopefully there's love there. You have friends. If you truly love someone, you can listen 
to their story. My little daughter, she's constantly telling me stories. To be honest, I don't really, to be, I don't really care too much, but because it's my daughter, I care. I just want to, I just love listening to her voice. How much more when it's the awesome God who created us? If there's real love there, we're going to listen to what he says. And the beautiful thing is, he changes our hearts to love him. He changes our hearts from hearts of stone into heart of flesh. And he completely, utterly makes us a new creation. There's this idea um, of loving God and obeying his commandments all throughout John. John is the apostle of love. He says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you want to use Hebrew language, you will listen to my commandments. And then later on in, in his letters, 1 John 2, 15, this is where he does the opposing thing. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we see that juxtaposition. Goes on to say, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. So, this commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your might, is couched in the context of a loving God who loves you, who was willing to send his son, sacrifice the jewel of heaven for your sins, for us, for people who don't really matter, to be honest, to the God of the universe who created all things. doesn't really make sense. But the more you think about that, the more you listen to this story, the more you understand really what God did for us to be right here even, to listen to God's word, it's amazing what he has done. And so I implore you to couch yourself in the story of God's love, to understand what he's done for you, Especially in the modern era, I think when I say you, you're just thinking individually you. But I'm going far beyond that. I'm talking about your parents, their parents, their parents. Think about how many forefathers need to have come in order for you specifically to be here. What a testimony. I just want to conclude with this. And it kind of goes with that verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and you when you lie down and when you rise. If we really understand what this command is, to love God, it is a command to love him publicly. And not just even on a Sunday morning, but throughout the mundane parts of your life throughout the whole week. Just in all 
spheres in all areas, in your house, on the way, in workplace, school, wherever, with your children, with your family, other people. We're to tell this story. One of my most enjoyable moments when I meet other Christians is to hear their testimony. And I had the wonderful privilege of meeting great Christians who are on the field. Being a missionary in China, you meet all these people who left everything to go to another country. And they have the most amazing stories of how God entered into life and somehow this happened, this happened. They met uh, their, their uh, eventual spouse and how they got the calling. Even a lot of people, when I tell my, t I love telling my testimony because it's amazing. And that's what a lot of people say, like, wow, that's amazing. It's not amazing because of me, but it's amazing because we worship an amazing God, right? Amazing things happen when you <laughs> encounter him. It's, it's just, that's just what happens. One of the things that science gets right is this awesome wonder it has for life. Just um, last month, I took our family to, what's it, the Natural History Museum, American, Histo Hi American Museum of Natural History in New York City. Yeah. And uh, we were able to go to the planetarium, and they're showing the whole solar system, and these are amazing heavenly bodies, but lifeless, desolate. Nothing can live there. And then finally, the, the grand finale is Earth. And they talk about how it is perfectly in the right distance. Like, even like a little bit, it'll be too cold, too hot. It has the perfect, like, tilt so that the magnetic field can block all the solar waves in it. It has that perfect atmosphere to produce life. And I'm like, Yes but you don't get credit to God. Like, it, it goes down to like somehow, some way, because there are almost infinite amount of possibilities, we finally, we hit the, the, the universal jackpot. I'm reading this book, um, this apologist, and he talks about the astrophysicist Fred Hoyle, who, is, who famously coined the term Big Bang, and he estimated the odds of producing even, not just all this, but just the proteins necessary for life to be a chance of 1 in 10 to the 40,000. I don't know, I guess that's like 40,000 zeros, right? And so he basically compared it to this, just because we, our brains just don't function like that. He compared the odds of life originating by chance or by um, permutations, whatever, to a tornado slashing through the junkyard, and all of a sudden, a Boeing 747 appears. That, that's what we're talking about. We're talking like an impossibility, and yet this is the story that the world is telling us. And we believe it. We, we struggle with it. We're still struggling with it. I'm sure some of it, I do still. I'm just like, wow, what is the story that they're telling? It kind of makes sense. Wow, they're giving me all this evidence. They're telling me all these things, and so I have to wrestle with that. I still believe in the Bible, and I know for me, I have to fight my, I don't know, how I was brought up, and be like, that is not the truth. God created the universe through the word, but I'm not going to lie. It does make sense at times, and I have to constantly fight to listen to God's story, because if I don't, as I said, 
we don't diligently listen to God's word, we're going to be consumed by the word, by the story of the world. Now, maybe you're going to say, again, so this is where I'm going to go back and maybe you don't have that amazing testimony, quote unquote amazing. I'm going to contend you do. Anyone who has met God has an amazing story. Because again, it's not about us, it's about God. I'm going to finish just with this one little last part of um, C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. Just had one of my favorite books, just had my son read it. And it has a part in there where there's a visitor going to heaven, and he's um, going around with his guide, and he sees this glorious lady. And she has um, all these boys on her right, all these girls on her left, or left or right, to each side. And he's like, well, is that someone famous? Is this someone, some, and before he's even able to finish his sentence, no. This is Sarah Smith who lived in Golders Green. And when you read that, it's, I feel like it's supposed to be the most ordinary name in the most ordinary neighborhood. Sarah Smith in Golders Green. Some, quote unquote, nobody. Someone who in the world would not even recognize. But in heaven, she is called one of the great why? Because she told the story of God to everyone that came into her life. And all those people around her are the ones she shared the gospel with and came to Christ. They are her sons and daughters. Everyone who comes to Christ is amazing. God is amazing. That is why. And he hears that. He knows what he's doing in their life. And if you say your testimony is boring, you're saying, God is boring. Take the focus off of ourselves. It's not the story of me. It's the story of the amazing God. It is through the stories we tell, the stories of God even, that the amazing love of God will eventually be passed down to the next generation. That is how God has chosen, for whatever reason, for his story to be told. Generation after generation, it is through the preaching, the proclamation, and the listening, the obeying, the shamaring. And so as we end today, I leave you with, if you're not diligently listening to the story, you're going to be consumed by the stories of the world, and now that we listen, go tell these stories to others around you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that beyond the impossibility of life and even us being here and all the permutations of different fathers and mothers and girls, to be able to have us here, all of us here, worshiping you this morning, we have to just say, you are amazing. You cared about us enough where you hand-selected each forefather in order for us to be who we are. You created us who we are, the culture that we lived in, the way we look, how our noses look that way, how tall we are, even our dispositions. And I pray, Lord, that we may understand that without you, this story is stark, it's lifeless, doesn't make sense. And so, Lord, may we understand 
and listen, Shema, obey your story, to love you. We thank you, Lord, for changing our hearts to love that we may now love others. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen.